And for the scoring itself, so there is, let's talk about how you actually, yeah. and is it the same for the NPC, which is the amateur division, is the scoring and how you score the same as how it works on a, a pro level stage? Yes. And I'm very glad that you asked this because I get this question all the time and it's not like a point system. It's not like you get like one to 10 points for your hair, one to 10 points for your conditioning. It's a ranking system. So for us, it's like, who is the closest to the standard out of everyone on stage? And that person gets first place. And then who is the second closest, second place and on down. So we're looking at everything in its totality. So we're looking at your shape, your muscularity, your conditioning, but then also your presentation comes into it and say two people are close, like they're first and second, and we have to decide who is which. Sometimes that's where posing comes into it because it's not the physique you possess, it's the one you present. You know, what do you show to us in the comparisons? And that can tip the scale. Bodybuilding about selfies, steroids, magazines, and muscles? How do I become a successful pro bodybuilder or fitness competitor? Where do I even start if I'm new? And the biggest question of all, what are the judges looking for anyway? Even today with the internet, many people first discover bodybuilding by word of mouth. The lack of regulation has caused a boom of unqualified coaches, scattered info, biased advice, dangerous protocols, and posing trends that are a hot mess. After 20 years in the business, I have seen it all. Week after week, I'm going to talk about taboo topics that get swept under the rug, provide you tips and strategies to gain a competitive edge and stand out on stage in any division or federation. I'm going to answer all the burning industry questions without the bias. I have competed across six federations, earned pro status in three, and judged in two. I've coached posing and choreography for men and women in all federations and divisions. I know just how much competing means to you. I'm your host, Michelle Welcome, and you are listening to the Everything Else in Bodybuilding podcast. Be sure to download your free guide, Five Things Every Bodybuilder and Fitness Competitor Needs to Know Before Your Next Show at eeinbb.com. That's www.eeinbb.com. Welcome back to the Everything Else in Bodybuilding podcast. I am your host, Michelle Welcome. I have a very special episode for you guys today, all about the NPC and the IFBB Federation. I have an amazing guest with me today. She is an IFBB Pro League head judge. She's a Mr. Olympia and an Arnold Classic judge, an IFBB Bikini Pro and an IFBB Figure Pro. So you have double pro cards yeah. and an also an NPC national champion as well. So I couldn't think of anybody better to have an, un, an amazing conversation, a well-rounded conversation. If you're brand new to the sport, you got no idea what you're doing. Great episode. Even if you're a veteran, we're going to fill in a lot of the gaps to give you a, a nice, well-rounded episode. So again, I have an amazing guest for me today. Her name is Becky Clausen. Becky, thank you so much for being here. I am so excited to have you. So please give the audience a little bit more of a background, how you got into bodybuilding. Why are you judging? Sure. <laughs> got you into judging? And how did it grow to the point that you're now an Olympia level judge? So please yeah. share a little bit. Sure. So I got into competing um, in my 20s. I just was looking for some kind of outlet, you know, for athleticism. And I feel like for many of us, especially women, once we're out of college, there's not really a lot of options. You know, there's not many intramural sports or any opportunity to 
compete as well as like feel like a team, like camaraderie. So that really fills a gap for me to get into bodybuilding in that way. Um, and then over time, as I competed, it began to dawn on me that, oh, I'm not going to be able to do this forever. Even though I had a 10-year career, it's like you start to think, well, what am I going to do when I'm done competing? And there came a point where I took a year off just to get healthy and you know deal with work and all that kind of stuff. And I had an opportunity to test judge. Someone was like, well, why don't you try that? See if you like it. And I loved it. I have a mind that's very analytical and very structured um, as it is. So it, it really appealed to me. And I felt like this was an opportunity to stay involved in the industry, even after I was done as a competitor. Um, and also, I wanted to give back. Um, Sandy Williamson is the one that always comes to my mind as far as judges um, and just her warm presence on the panel, you know, just the simple fact that she smiles at the athletes. I remember those times and I remember they calmed me down on stage and made me feel more confident and her heartfelt advice and feedback over the years just really meant a lot to me. And I was like, you know, I think this is the way I could give back. Like I wouldn't be a good coach, you know, wasn't interested in being a trainer. I'm not going to make suits or promote a show. I was like, I feel like this, this suits me. And I was very interested in learning more about it and doing as much as I could for judging. And luckily I had some amazing mentors, Gary Udit being one, um, really taught me how to judge and also how to head judge because there's so much more involved than just judging the show, which I think you're a head judge as well, right? Yes. So you know, yes. it's, it's like controlling the stage. It's about making sure the show flows with no breaks. You have to work with the expediters, the MC, make sure the athletes are happy, they're safe. Like you kind of run the show. And so I had people teaching me that, not just kind of throwing me to the wolves and showing me this is the best way to do it. And this is our ultimate goal. And I've just soaked it all up and just, you know, the opportunities have presented themselves. Luckily, I've been very fortunate. And at what point did it become something? I mean, you travel for judging, don't you? Is this like your full-time job or is this it still is not. something <laughs> interesting? So what, what yes. do you do? How are you able to manage judging and traveling and another job? I work quite a bit. Um, so I work in technology. So yes, I work when I'm traveling, it feels like I work seven days a week because, you know, it's travel, it's judging the show. Um, sometimes I'll work in the hotel room, like before check-ins or before the athletes oh meeting, um, check emails, you know, in between prejudging and finals. So um, I keep both balls in the air. Um, I feel lucky that I have ample vacation time that I'm able to travel um, and really, I love to travel so much. So I don't want to turn any opportunity down if I don't have to, just because to be able to see the world and especially see our athletes in other countries and see how bodybuilding is coming up around the world is really a privilege. And I want where to do take you think advantage it's, of that. Where do you think it's coming up the most around the world since you are traveling for shows? Um, I have to say definitely in Europe. Um, and I've mentioned this to a lot of different people I've talked to. I was super impressed this year going to Spain and seeing, um, some of the younger pros we have in bodybuilding there, they have a, a huge following, um, on YouTube or on social media, which 
I think is a wonderful thing for us. Um, it's not just like bodybuilders or a fitness niche that they have, but their personalities and they actually have fans who like them, you know, for who they are and, you know, what they do even outside of bodybuilding. And those fans are coming to our shows, which is exciting because now we're getting audiences that maybe don't even know anything about bodybuilding, but they're like, I know this guy and I really like him. So I want to go see him if he's in town. And I'm seeing that in Asia as well. Um, it's just really neat to see that our reach is increasing. And I, you know, I think Chris Bumstead has a lot to do with that too. People are turned on to the idea of bodybuilding and especially like classic physique and, you know, everything he's done for the industry. I feel like a lot of people are using that as a, a platform and a jumping off point, which is exciting to see. I see a lot of young guys doing the classic physique. There's a lot of young men coming into bodybuilding and you'd think that they would go for the men's physique category. And we'll talk Mm -hmm. about the categories in a minute, but they love the artistic form of the classic physique, even though it's interesting because classic physique was just bodybuilding, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) It was just bodybuilding, but now it's become its own thing. And it's certainly a global phenomenon, but that also leads me to, so if you're traveling globally and you're traveling around the country, is the judging consistent? So is the actual judging criteria for the NPC and the IFBB something that is uniform in the expectations, no matter if you're in Spain, you're, you know, in Romania, or you're in, you know, Texas, that'll be mm-hmm. the exact same judging criteria and the exact same process. Is that the case? Yes. And that's definitely a goal. Um, when we started doing the NPC worldwide, that's why so many of us traveled including Tyler and Sandy and everyone, because the goal was to ensure that the judging is going according to the criteria and also that we're teaching judges and making sure, you know, we coach them and all work together to make sure we're on the same page. I mean, I get that myself, like at the Arnold or the Olympia, we talk about, you know, this is, this is what we want. This is what we don't. And we all kind of come together and agree. Yes, this is what we're going to hold the line on and then travel for me. I feel like I'm going out and visiting all the different judges that we have and reiterating the same thing. Cause it's, it's so important to be consistent that people can show up to any show anywhere in the country and be judged in a way that they expect. Right. Um, Absolutely. So that's, that's definitely our goal. I think the one, one thing that people get confused about, and I used to do it myself as an athlete and I get this question all the time. It seems like every show, like I'll use bikini for an example, someone wins a bikini show and they're like, oh, now they're going for muscle or the criteria has changed again. They're going for muscle or now they're going for really lean girls or now they want it really soft. And it's like the criteria is always the same. It just depends who shows up. You know, the Olympia is going to be more consistent because those girls are, are so close to the criteria. They are the ideal. So you should see a lot more standardization there. But, you know, if it's a smaller pro show or certainly a national show on down to a local show, we can only judge who shows up. I'm sure you've had that experience as a judge. It's like if everybody shows up hard as nails, someone has to win. And it doesn't mean we think that's the criteria, right? Like our feedback would be you should not be that hard. Like you have got to soften up or you've got to make these changes but I feel like sometimes people see the winner's photo and they're like, oh, the criteria has changed. And it's like, no, maybe look at the totality of the class. And then you'll see that that was all we had to pick from. 
Absolutely. It definitely changes based on who shows up. And as you go higher in the rankings, you're now talking people that have won championships. And then now you're yes. talking on the pro stage, people that are champions, not only that, but they're pros. So mm-hmm. being able to distinguish that is something that I think for a brand new person, it's important. So what yes. I say to my students, because I teach a lot of virtual posing classes, that's something that's mm-hmm. my jam. So I, I'm talking to a lot of the students and it's like, you can't put your eggs, all your eggs into one basket. You can't just rely on that one yes. show and then the feedback that you're getting, I, you need to do additional shows and see what kind of feedback is consistent. But here's the thing, talking about the IFBB and NPC, I do have to say that the consistency of the judging, because I'm from, to me, I'm in bodybuilding for over 20 years. I see the whole industry as a whole, travel the country, all different absolutely. organizations, because I love the sport. Yeah, but what I can I absolutely that. say myself, yeah, what I can say about NPC and IFBB is the consistency. So in talking with you, Besides the consistency of the judging, I know that people are trying to figure out in this world of bodybuilding, where do I even go? What organization? You know, what division? What would you say is the reason somebody should choose NPC and IFBB besides the consistency of judging? Sure. Um, So I would never say, like, speak ill of another organization. I feel like I don't have enough information to do that. And, you know, there's, there's enough athletes out there for all of us. So... I think it's definitely up to each individual and I would never disparage somebody for whatever organization they pick. I know personally, I picked the NPC when I started competing just because back when I started competing, the level and quality of the show was better in the NPC. It was a little bit more consistent stage um, production, expediting timing of the show. It was a little more, um, just consistent and something you could count on um, that it was going to run smoothly and you were going to be on time and everything. And my coach was like, you know, even though I was a natural athlete, he's like, you know, I want you to have solid competition and we're just going to go to shows where we feel like you have a good experience. And had there been any other ones in my area and another federation, maybe he would have considered that. But that's something I think that is really important for a first time competitor too. Um, is pick a show that is um, maybe has some history. It's been running for a few years. I know COVID messed up a lot of people, so maybe that's not so applicable right now. But one that, you know, has a decent promotion. You've seen some photos. You've gotten some feedback that people enjoy the show. They enjoy their time on stage. Um, I think that's something that we can really deliver um, as our shows level up and our production quality levels up. Um, I also do like the fact that now we're um, really pushing for more natural shows. So I think it can, you know, serve both audiences. You know, myself, I didn't care if I was competing against whomever, but I totally understand that people want to do natural shows. And we do have an opportunity to turn pro as a natural in a drug tested show and then also go to the Olympia as a natural athlete. So I think that's really cool. It's like we try to, you know, serve everyone, give everyone the opportunity that they want to compete in and to give them the experience they want. And that's also interesting you bring that up because the natural shows versus not natural, so to speak, Mm -hmm. for the person who's brand new to the sport, what does that even mean? Natural versus unnatural? So I would have to say in our federation, they test for things um, and I think this this is probably true for other ones too, but like diuretics, um, anabolic steroids, um, I think things like like clenbuterol or whatever it is that um, stimulates fat loss, essentially things that are 
illegal anyway. Like you really shouldn't be taking them unless, you know, some diuretics are by prescription. Um, that's what our tests pick up. But I think there are some federations that test even more stringently um, for different yeah, things. Some tests- know there's like polygraph tests for some organizations and yeah, I mean, some some of them go as far as um, adhering to the WADA guidelines. Some of them take yes. the WADA guidelines and a polygraph test. It really does depend. But yeah. the shows that don't drug test is just basically that. There's no polygraph. There's no urine testing. There's no nothing. It's basically you come into the show and you based in well, you get on stage and you mm-hmm. compete against people from all different levels and all different backgrounds and whatever their journey is. And I'm with mm-hmm. you, Becky. It really, to me, at the end of the day, I competed as a natural athlete myself and I didn't care who I was setting up against because it was really my journey. It was me against me. Yes. And I wanted to see how I yes. could do at my highest level. So it's really not about a moral issue for this conversation. It's yes. more about what, mm-hmm. yeah, what's the, what's the journey of, of a person coming into the sport? What does it look like for them? So you mentioned that there's natural, um, te- um, shows that they're adding additional ones. I know there's the Ben Weeder Naturals and I believe Virginia. Mm-hmm. And I think Gary puts that one on. Yep. Gary, Gary organizes all that yep. um, down yep. in that region. And that one is interesting because let's go on to talk about for somebody who's new, getting their pro card. Like that's like, oh my God, now you're seeing right on the social media, you're seeing mm-hmm. in the headline, I'm now a national qualified NPC competitor. Now yes. that's a status too. <laughs> yes, Do you know what I mean? Which it never like, was so now I was competing. <laughs> Oh my God. So now you're a national level competitor, but that's like, because why? Because the journey to getting a pro card is quite tiered. And I'd love to just yes. ask you about that and also compare it to what happens when you go to like the Ben Meter Naturals. It's a little bit different of a journey to get your pro card versus other avenues. Mm-hmm. So can we just talk about that to summarize and clarify that a little bit? Yeah. So, you know, getting your pro card, it, the main thing I tell people about that journey is, is to have patience. And I love what you just said. It's about your own journey. I think the best coaches focus their athletes on that because you have to focus on what you can control. And that's bringing your best self, working within your genetics to bring your best physique. But the things you can't control are who shows up. So sometimes that can be why a really talented athlete maybe, you know, takes a little longer to turn pro because it depends who shows up on that day. Um, Start out on a local level. Everyone starts out on a local level. You do a national qualifier show to get qualified to go to the national show. I think that um, wise coaches coach their athletes regarding are they ready or not? before they send them to a national show because the level of competition can be very steep. And I think if someone's not maybe ready for that, say you you know show up at a show and you happen to take second in your class and, oh, you're qualified, but that was your first show, you may not be ready like mentally to step on stage with all of these top-level athletes. And I think that can be decimating for an athlete if a coach doesn't take that into consideration. Like their body needs to be ready, but so does their mindset. Um, And then when they are ready to get to the national level, obviously the physique has to be on point. Um, Posing, presentation, the overall look has to be right on point. That can be the difference between, you know, fifth and first. And then, you know, hopefully you bring it all together and, win your pro card, um, by placing, you know, whatever's required at a certain show. And I will say that, um, we've had a lot of talent come through, um, the Ben Weeder show and we have pros that win that show that go to the Olympia that have also won other pro shows. 
So there's a lot of talented athletes that go through that show. And I just love to see that. I think it's a great example for other athletes. Like you can do it however you choose to, you know, whether you want to follow this path or that path, there are people out there who can serve as an example for you. Well, let's unpack that just a little bit. So let's just say this competitor, brand new competitor finds a local show because there's a lot of shows. How many amateur shows are around the country? Do you even know? I don't even know, but I know our season starts so early now. Like I I think we start having shows in January and we go all the way through December now. So there's There's gotta be thousands. Oh yeah. 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 There's there's thousands of shows. So there's availability everywhere of, to be able to do this, of local show. So doing this local show, it has to be a national qualifier, but don't you have to place a certain placement in order to to qualify? Top two in an open class. So if you place in masters, that doesn't necessarily qualify you like to our nationals. You have to place top two in an open class. Now we do have masters nationals, which you can compete in if you're, you know, over 35. Um, And that only requires you to compete in an NPC show in that season. So there's no qualification requirements for that. And that's, that's a good opportunity for our master's pros. Um, But otherwise it has to be top two in their class. That's a, that's a big distinguishing factor. Although it's always been that way that it's Mm -hmm. always been the open, but because there's so many, I don't know, I don't know about you, but maybe the last five years, the amount of people reaching out to me for posing guidance, men and women over 50 is bonkers. So I get that there's a, and they just did the masters Olympia brought that back after, I don't know how many years. And it was because I I remember Tyler saying that if the quality's there, we'll bring it back. And this was like in discussions a couple of years ago, and then all of a sudden it came back. So there's obviously a lot of talent, but I think there is that confusion. So what we're saying here on a local amateur stage, top two in the open will bring you to a national level. So now we're Mm -hmm. at a national level competition. How do you earn your pro card? If you're at the national level, it depends what show you're at. So nationals, top two in your class, you get your pro card. Um, I think at like junior USA's, it's like half of the overall, like, so if there's six classes, it would be three in the overall. Um, I think the same thing, there's no, no pro card for open bodybuilding at the junior shows. So junior USA's and junior nationals. Um, but the best shot for a pro card and also the most competitive shows are the USA's and the nationals. And that's where top two in the class turn pro, but it is also. A very competitive show. Very competitive show. So that's, and that's, okay. So that's how you get your pro card. But now let's talk about the Ben Weider Naturals. So can you not have competed on a local stage and just go to the Ben Weider show? Can you just be your first show ever in life? (laughs) I think you have, gosh, that is a great question. Um, I think you have to have competed, but don't quote me on that. You might not have to, because I know we don't require you to compete in like a drug tested show or anything. I don't know of any requirements like that. So I, I think technically you could just go to the leader and compete. And this is, the, I mean, this is the thing I want. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want don't to make see sure why not body, really. Right. I know. So people that are just getting into the sport, they it's, it's, it really kind of depends and it really, you have to understand the promoter. You understand what the show is. So this is like a special show that, yeah, you can just apparently potentially just walk on stage for the very first time Now you can compete as the amateur on one day. And I think the pro show is the next day, right? Yes. So as an amateur, get your pro card. And then what happens on Sunday? Yeah. You can compete as a pro, right? Yeah. 
And we have had people, um, because we have pro qualifiers around the world, and that's usually how they stage it, is they do the pro qualifier first. And we ask everyone, do you want to do the pro show? And we've had people do really well, including qualifying to the Olympia. Like they go from amateur to Olympian in like 48 hours. And it's just, it's the craziest thing to watch. So freaking fun. How amazing that would be Mm -hmm. to have that opportunity. So there's that. So, I mean, why don't they drug test then? Because there's a lot of interest for people that want to do the shows, the Ben Weeders and stuff. Why, why wouldn't they just make it uniform is why make it something special? Is there a reason for that or? Um, I think it's just opening it up to, you know, all customer types because really the athletes are customers. So, you know, whatever type of athlete wants to compete, they have that avenue. But bodybuilding traditionally has never been drug tested. And, you know, drug testing on the way, and I know you're going to ask me about this, but I'm going to preempt it, like the way the Olympics does, right? Which, you know, we were talking about. That's more performative and like athletic performance and what they test for. We're an aesthetic organization. Like, I don't know if it's necessarily the same thing. And I don't know, kind of like you and I were talking earlier, the requirements for testing vary between organizations. And I think it's sometimes hard to come to an agreement on that. And I think that's why we've just kind of left things the way that the organization was started from the beginning and tried to open up more avenues. Like I know for sure that they're trying to have more natural shows in our federation over the next couple of years, just to um, give even more opportunity to the natural athletes and to, you know, leave the opportunities that exist for anyone who just wants to compete, you know, in any open show, but add the opportunities for our natural athletes too, and give them the same, you know, possibility that they can turn pro, they can go to the Olympia, which I, I think that's so special. And that's, I think that's so special. It really is. And I think that's important for new people because I mean, there's so many of these gurus that are online Mm -hmm. and they got these, they got these groups out there that everyone's an expert in by the way. And Oh my God. And the people that are saying it's kind of like a hard line in the sand. You're either drug testing and going over here, or you're not drug testing going to this organization. Mm-hmm. And what you're saying here and just clearing up the air is that there are drug tested opportunities. There are shows that mm-hmm. are drug tested. And not only that, they're adding additional drug tested shows. So you can't officially say that the NPC and the IFBB are only all about people right. that are enhanced, so to speak. So I just, I think that's important, but let's yeah. go on to talk about what also has changed through the years. So you started in what, well, how long ago? Many years ago. Oh gosh. Figure pro and bikini pro. Yeah. A long time ago. <laughs> I'm dating myself, <laughs> but yes, 2004. So you started in 2004, pretty much when figure came out. Yes. And you yep. must've gotten your was- pro card pretty quick. I did in 2007. Um, so it took me a little while. Um, I would say I followed a pretty textbook path, like did local shows for two years, you know, hit the national circuit for two years. And on my second year, I turned pro. But figure was the only option unless you wanted to do fitness. That was mm-hmm. that was it. So um, that and even that was a struggle for me. And those girls, you know, we were not as muscular or maybe as lean as some of the figure girls are now, but it was still, that was a struggle for me. I wish bikini had been around back then. I would have been more genetically suited to that for sure. So you started in figure back when they're pretty much, I mean, figure was started because 
I know that the, they made it for uh, fitness competitors to have an opportunity to do, to compete in a bodybuilding yes. type uh, competition without being required to do the demands of the routine, Yes, which I love watching the routines. They're my favorite part of Olympia, by the way. I oh. know. Mine too. That's my favorite. Those ladies, those so, ladies entertaining. so amazing. So entertaining. Yes. I'm glad that there's still fitness is out there. But anyways, figures was started to have that avenue and then it became evolved over the years. So what would you say? So let's talk about what the different mm-hmm. options are for competitors in the NPC and the IFBB and mm-hmm. from men and women, because I don't like to talk about just one division to me about, yes. I started in bodybuilding. That was my jam, uh-huh. bodybuilding. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> I, I'm jealous. I wish I could have done bodybuilding. I always was so fun. bodybuilders. Yeah, I love that's it. awesome. I love it. So to me, everyone's a bodybuilder is just a little articulated a little bit differently in the yeah. posing, of course, the criteria. So let's talk about that for a second. Mm-hmm. So what are the options for men? What are there for women? And how do the different options differ amongst each other? So starting with women, um, that kind of our gateway division, I would call bikini. So it is about balance. It's about muscle. It's about a feminine shape that is built on a foundation of muscle. Um, but without extreme leanness, without, you know, overpowering density or depth to the physique, it's just about building out shape. And, you know, so rounded shoulders, tight waist, rounded glutes and shapely legs. Um, it's a look that most women can shoot for and attain, you know, with proper training and nutrition. And then from there, we move up to wellness. Wellness is very similar to bikini, but the legs the legs are so much more muscular and have that density and depth to them. And I'm really glad that we brought wellness into the fold because so many women get into bodybuilding and competing because they come from other sports. Well, if you come from a sport like soccer or something like that, you're going to have more muscular legs. And to run those down and to get them balanced enough for bikini is Oh, it's torturous. And I hate to see people try to burn off muscle. So I think considering the fact that most women are lower body dominant, wellness is a great option for people so they can build that muscle versus having to cut it and cut it down. Um, From there, we go to figure, which is, again, balanced. It's symmetrical with the same muscularity on top as you have on the bottom. And that's where you have a little bit more density to the muscle. You know, we're looking at back density that comes into play into that division. A little leaner. We're still not looking for, you know, vascularity, striations, things like that. Um, Sid Gillian is a great example. I mean, she's just fantastic that she can get that separation without looking, you know, grainy or too hard. Like that sometimes can be a real fine line. And she's such a good example of that. Um, From there, we have women's physique which is a little bit more muscle, the posing changes, you know, that's a little closer to bodybuilding um, with the way that they pose. But again, we don't want to see the depth and the size that you would see on like a bodybuilder. And we want to see more flow to the physique, um, kind of in between figure and bodybuilding, but they will be a little bit more conditioned. We don't really want to see striations in that division either. So they have to be careful not to be too conditioned. Um, and then from there, there's women's bodybuilding. And, you know, it's, it's about size, of course, you know, they can put on as much size as they want, but it's still about symmetry and shape, right? Um, mm. And I love, you know, Andrea Shaw is probably Gorgeous. one of our best examples we've had in so long, because she's not even overly conditioned, like she's tight, and she's hard and everything, but still has that feminine look. 
and just that flow to her physique that is so beautiful. And I just love her have, having her an exa- as an example for that division because I feel like women would aspire to look like that, you know, and maybe they're able to put on the muscle, you know, God bless them. I wish it was me, you know, but maybe they're able to put on the muscle. And that's a look I think is very appealing to women. You know, it's interesting you say that because I, I told you that I teach virtual posing classes. I teach mm-hmm. it for all the divisions. I It's my jam. So mm-hmm. what's really interesting to me is talking about like the muscularity poses, how many women love to learn them? Like, yes. Figure girls, they learn, like I teach all these things. So they're learning muscularity poses. Like, I I mean, with respect, you wouldn't as a figure girl on an MPC stage, again, every organization has different standards, but on the MPC IFBB stage, I'm not encouraging you figure girls to go out there and hit a side tricep. What I'm saying is they like to learn the poses and there's something fun about the muscularity about it. So when you said like women would aspire maybe to be, um, to look like Andrea Shaw, I think women really just like to see their hard work and the efforts that they've yes. done in the gym. And, and when you hit a little side try or a mm, little something, it's super fun. And you can for great is. Instagram, great Instagram material. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> but I also say the more you pose, the better you get at posing. So for I do sure. think there's, there's a diff, there's a positive transfer. So it's not just like to be, I mean, I'm being silly about Instagram, but there is something to that. So having said the the different divisions, you've got bikini, wellness, figure, physique mm-hmm. and bodybuilding. That is all the different options you have for the women. Oh, and fitness. Oh my goodness. Of course. How can we forget fitness? But yes, fitness How- has the routine as well as the physique round. The physique is close to figure. Um, sometimes the fitness girls are a little bit harder just because of the rigors of the routine. Like you can't help but get in amazing shape when you're training a routine along with bodybuilding. Um, but yeah, that's the other option it. for women too. I don't know either. And they are tremendous athletes amazing athletes. And I know one, oh, what was her name? She, um, she competed with a broken leg. She won too. Oh, she's, um, a fitness, oh, uh, the Whitney? Olympia. Yeah. Whitney. Whitney. Oh, James? I love her. Yeah. She oh is so awesome. Her, <laughs> she is the guts that that girl has. You might see a video of her, you guys preparing for the Olympia and she broke her leg and she's there with the leg brace on still flipping around on the floor, getting ready for the Olympia. I'm like, that's a whole nother level of talent, that fitness division. So not to scare you that you have to, you know, matter what, but you have to yeah. you know, compete with broken leg. But I'm saying these ladies are amazing they and are the quality tough. in the talent pool is super hot, awesome. So the divisions, so the fitness is kind of its own thing because mm-hmm. what we talked about bikini wellness, figure, physique, and bodybuilding, basically the difference between each of the divisions was level of muscle, depth, and level of conditioning. So that's pretty yes. much well pretty said. much the, di- the difference. Mm-hmm. However, with wellness being a little bit of an outlier, being lower body dominant, you've got bikini, mm-hmm. figure, physique, and bodybuilding that are not looking for um, lower body dominant, they're looking for proportion. So if I was to summarize yep. it for you, am I missing anything, Becky, on that before we move on no, to the next? That's perfectly said. And that's a great way to encapsulate it. You should see the changes in conditioning and muscularity as you move up and down the scale. And people are complaining about the level of muscularity and conditioning is like absolutely bonkers now and it's unattainable, blah, 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 blah. How do you feel about that? I I don't think that's fair to say. Um, I think sometimes people go off photos, which is constantly a battle um, that we have as judges when trying to explain the criteria and, you know, help athletes prepare for shows. Everyone looks sharper in the photos. So everyone looks leaner. And 
I mean, it's hard for me to hear stuff like that because as a natural athlete who's not super gifted, I'm not genetically gifted in any which way, but I know, you know, for bikini, I was able to achieve that level of conditioning, you know, myself. So it, it is possible to achieve it. It's just hard work. And I don't think it's too extreme, especially, um, you know, what we're looking for in our gateway division, you know, and to see even our figure athletes and how healthy they are and knowing some of them personally. Um, I think it's just a misconception and, you know, sometimes a cop out that people want to say, but really if you do things the right way with the right coaching and um, guidance, you can achieve that. And, and it, it's not out of reach for people. We, we make sure of that, especially for the gateway division. And if you see these girls in person, they're really the bikini division in particular, they're really tiny. Yes. And that's they are lean, point. but they, but they stay lean year round. Here's the thing. Like you hear a lot of the sorority of suffering out there about, you know, yes. Oh my God, my, you know, I've <laughs> sudden I went off and I gained 500 pounds after my show and Oh, well, yes. you know, but these ladies, like, if you look at Ashley Caldwater, who's, she's the, yes. the one champion in the IFBB who's won the most competitions. She's oh, the for most, sure. yes. most champion of champions. That mm-hmm. girl is never out of shape. Right. And Ever. that she's a great example because She's done this for a while now. She's been competing for over 10 years. Her body and her muscle maturity and everything, she's gotten to a point where it is a lifestyle, you know, and and the more muscle maturity you have, the easier it is to stay in shape. And you're right. These girls do try to stay healthy year round. And that means, you know, doing reverse diets after shows to gain weight in a healthy way and balance their hormones and, um, they do stay within range. So it's not so hard to come back in for a show. And I think that the, how small they are and the size they are really matters when people think about muscularity, right. And size, like they'll look at some of these girls and say, Oh my gosh, she's so much, she's so muscular. She has so much muscle, but you know, by seeing them in person, they're, they're quite tiny. It's just about proportion. And a lot of that is posing. So maybe, you know, look tiny standing in front of you, but when they get on stage and they hit their pose or they open up, everything changes. And all of a sudden it's a totally different athlete. So it's not that they're so huge and so muscular. It's that they're presenting themselves in that manner. And then you see them walking around and they, they just look like a fit, healthy person. I mean, I do have to say just, you know, being personal for a second, even, you know, when I was competing for shows to me, the best I ever looked on stage were the times that I maintained a really good lean condition year round. So it mm-hmm. was a dial for the show versus those who spend the time, they have an excess weight they need to lose. In addition to getting stage lean, there's yes. like, they don't, they see it as one thing versus what these athletes do is they consider it a lifestyle and they live it as a lifestyle and they live this way year round. But I mean, they're not stage lean necessarily, right. but they're within right. range that they can get there yeah. in a, in a very uh, slow, meticulous manner without yes. being a torpedo to the stage. So yes. that's basically, you know, a little bit of some thoughts on the female divisions, but the men, mm-hmm. the men also have some really great options too. Can we talk about what yes. the options are for the men? Yeah. So our gateway division for the men is men's physique. And that is, um, like a healthy athletic look balanced again, front to back. Um, but not too big. Like there was discussion for a while there. Oh, it's just classic physique and board shorts. Well, that's definitely not the look we want. You know, if the shoulders are super big, the arms are super big. Um, that's too much. That is classic physique. And also, um, too much density 
if their conditioning is too much, like they should be full and sharp and crisp. But again, same thing if they're grainy, if they're vascular, that's too much. That's more of a bodybuilding type conditioning level. This is something that they should be able to achieve um, maybe as they're working their way into the other divisions, you know, as a starting point, but it, it certainly looks different than bodybuilding. It's more of a fitness model, I would say in that realm. And then upwards from that, like we talked before, classic physique, Chris Bumstead is probably the best example of that. And he actually um, turned pro as a bodybuilder, a heavyweight bodybuilder. And he has said before, you know, if I didn't have classic, I, you know, I might not have competed ever as a pro because he didn't want to have to move up from a heavyweight bodybuilding um, weight and physique to compete in open bodybuilding. So Um, it's the next level where you get into bodybuilding, but there's height and weight requirements. So it kind of keeps everyone on the same level. Like you can't weigh over a certain amount if you are five, seven. And so it kind of levels the playing field that no one's ever going to get too big for that division because the weights kind of keep that under control. And next year we're enacting the same thing for men's physique, actually a height and weight requirement um, on the pro level. So I think that'll help us keep the size and the muscularity under control there too. Um, From there, there's the 212 division. Um, Just another, you know, notch up into bodybuilding. But again, there's that weight limit. So you're competing against people who say you're a little bit shorter. You know, Sean, Sean Clarita is a great example, although he's so good, he can compete in open bodybuilding. (laughs) But, you know... (laughs) Yeah, and he did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he he's did. Outstanding. And he did great. Yes. Yep. He held his own. But for, you know, some of our other bodybuilders who maybe don't have that mass or that density or just don't want to put that on, they can compete in the 212 division, which again, there's there's a limit. Nobody can go above that. So it, it evens out the playing field a little bit. And then, of course, there's open bodybuilding where as long as you're a pro, however you come in is however you come in. And um, the requirements for that are, of course, mass, density, fullness, conditioning. You know, that's where we see some of the freakier physiques. But it is still about aesthetics and about symmetry. And I think we have some really great bodybuilders as examples through all of the divisions. But especially in open, um, Derek Lunsford, um, Samson is great. You know, Hottie, really, they're... Hottie. Yeah. Yeah, more aesthetic, (laughs) you know, that just, I feel like those top bodybuilders really have such a nice look that incorporates flow as well. You know, they're not only just the mass monsters, they have just really pretty flow to their physiques too. I think a lot of that has to do with time. Like if you look at Sean Corita, for example, I mean, he didn't just like, you know, lift a dumbbell once and then appear on a bodybuilding stage. That man worked decades. He's been yes. training for decades. These guys are put a lot of time into it. This is not a short, I love it. But one thing about bodybuilding, you even, maybe you realize the, the last show that was um, national show, there was a, I think it was actually the Masters Olympia, Masters Nationals. There was a 92, 90, man who was in his nineties mm-hmm. competing on stage. What show mm-hmm. was that? Do you remember? Probably Masters the, Nationals or, or North Americans. Masters. It could have been North Americans too. Okay. 
So this guy is in his 90s, you guys. Like this sport could be lifeline. It could look mm-hmm. lifelong. It could be possibly mm-hmm. that long. So but these open bodybuilders are its own thing because these guys are really, really, really big. They're carrying a tremendous amount of muscle. That yes. takes a lot of work. That's a lot of food. But again, just yes. kind of circling back to, you know, unpacking just a little bit what you said, the difference between men's physique, working your way up to classic, debatably 212. Don't you have to be shorter to be 212 though? There's no height requirement. Is there a height limit? Just, there is no height nope. requirement? Nope. Okay. Wait. So the, and just weight requirement and then going up to um, open. And there's a mm-hmm. lot of changes that are going on. They did talk about men's physique, the board shorts. They were, they're like, has to be a certain distance above the knee. Got to be mm-hmm. a little bit more tapered. The um, weight cap. They did bump the weight cap on the classic physique, guys. Yes. Yes. This is and all I happening think- after this year's Olympia, though. Yes. Yeah, they won too. I'm, I'm so glad they announced it early. So it gives people time to prepare. And they did a lot of research going into it too. Um, you know, taking sample height and weight from different pro shows or, you know, just to gather like, where are people sitting with their weights, you know, so it wasn't some unreasonable or arbitrary, you know, point to hit, they actually had data on it and said, okay, this is where our top athletes seem to be. This seems to be reasonable. This is where you know, we'll set our limits and our guidelines. So I'm, I'm I think that's that. great. Yeah, I think that's great. Keep the keep the standard of, of the divisions or bring them to a standard that they're looking for. I think that's great. But what do you mm-hmm. think has been the biggest change over the years? So you've been in this industry a long time, almost 20 years, yes. right? 2004 is when you started, you've yes. been judging forever and a half. You judge a lot of shows, yeah. you travel the country. <laughs> you are just so cool. So, oh, so having said that, <laughs> Becky, so what is the biggest change that you've seen over the years, like the biggest standout, the biggest change that you've seen evolving in the sport um, of bodybuilding? I think just across all divisions. The, I mean, obviously social media, I'm sure you, you feel the same way. Social media just changed things um, with, you know, fitness influencers and things like that. And I, I think it gave our competitors um, more visibility and more opportunities um, maybe for, you know, self-promotion and, you know, maybe they're able to do something, you know, successful in that realm that maybe they're not so su- successful on stage, but they can go hand in hand. And I really think that increased our visibility quite a bit. Um, mm. Physique wise, one thing we will always see with elite athletes like this, you know, athletes who are the top 1% in the world, they are always going to push the envelope. And I think that is the reason more than anything why people say, oh, the division's getting more muscular or harder. I think the trend is always going to be that way. It's our job to hold the standard and hold the line and say, no, this is too much and pull it back down or give the feedback that, no, that's a little bit, you know, over the line. But these are athletes who are trying to maximize their physiques, right? And they're always trying to win. They're trying to be the next best thing. And so, they want more muscle or they want more density. They want to be leaner. They're always going to try to bring in something that no one's done before. Or they haven't done before. So I think we see that just over time, you know, and especially I think some of it is as training and nutritional information has become more readily available. I think the trainers today just have so much more knowledge and they can do great things to keep our athletes healthy. I think that shows also in their conditioning and, you know, the muscle they're able to carry. Like reverse dieting was not a thing when I competed. Like you were done and you just started eating again. And it led to exactly what you said. You put on this extra weight. You felt terrible. Like nobody really had that concept. And now that we 
have things like that. I feel like it just opens the door for athletes really to have better physiques because there's so much more knowledge out there. And I feel like there's more knowledge shared. I mean, not all of it's great. Because like you said, you know, everyone tries to be a coach. You definitely have to filter your information, but there's good information out there. And I think that just, you know, raises the level of everyone up. That's the biggest change I've seen over time. So level of competitiveness, but also level of information that has allowed and almost created the competitiveness, the opportunities for it. Yeah, I think that's I think that's that's great. I think um, adding of the divisions has really been a game changer, too. It's changed. Like we talked earlier about Chris Bumstead and the youth over in Spain, for example, you were saying mm-hmm. there's, like this, there's a big appeal to bodybuilding. It's really brought Chris mm-hmm. Bumstead and the idea of classic and um, even bikini, the, the beauty of the bikini division has yes. brought a lot of interest to people that are coming out of the woodwork and just wanting to do this thing called bodybuilding. It's not this mm-hmm. like weird thing anymore, you know? Right. Like yep, back I, in the day to think of like a cheerleader in the weight room, it wouldn't happen. Now right. they're in the weight room, they're putting up some serious hip thrusts. Have you seen yes. Aaron Stern, for example, bikini competitor? That girl is strong. These girls she are strong. Is. There's no she joke. She's an athlete. Absolutely. Yeah. She could outlift probably most people in the gym. I agree. She had like <laughs> she had like five plates on each side of the hip. I'm like, who are you? This girl is superhuman. <laughs> right. And this bikini. Right. Yep. So I th- I definitely see this evolution as well. Um, why do you think people want this IFBB Pro card so much? Do you think it has to do with the social media? Do you think it really gives them an advantage? Or I guess, what is the biggest advantage of the IFBB Pro card? I think that they, a lot of people do want it, um, maybe for the clout. I mean, it's always been a thing that has been like this illustrious pie in the sky goal. I know when I started, they we did not award many Pro cards. So it was really, you know, a reach to try to get your Pro card. And I know the way it was presented to me by my coach, you know, if I had the opportunity to get a pro card, I may not have been the most competitive pro, but I was always a pro. Like, that's what they said. They're like, no one can ever take that away from you. You know, you've achieved something special. Um, It is. And it's a feeling of like success, like, holy smokes, I actually did this for myself. I think it is a real feeling of gratification um, and satisfaction that you've actually done this really hard thing and been rewarded for it. Um, when, when people say like, like, does it help you as far as business or coaching or things like that? I, I would say no. I know I actually used to have a roommate who I turned pro before she did and she was a personal trainer and she worried about like, Oh, you know, I'm not a pro yet. This is going to affect my business. And I'm like, "It, it doesn't, it doesn't affect your knowledge. It doesn't affect, you know, how well you work with people. I think that's the most important thing. And I, I feel like the opposite can be true. There can be people who compete and get a pro card and think they can coach people. And that may not be the fact, you know, and I think that there are plenty of good amateurs who are great coaches. I mean, you can't always control your genetics, right? That's what I always say. Like there are a lot of coaches who have competed to the best of their level, but they just never had genetics that were ever going to allow them to turn pro. Doesn't mean they don't know what they're doing. So I think, you know, you got to kind of take it with a grain of salt. It's a great personal accomplishment, but it doesn't necessarily put a stamp on someone like, oh, this person knows how to train other people, I would say. Isn't that interesting? Because you've got people like Dr. Mike T. Nelson, for example. He's like a PhD in everything, or even Dr. Mm -hmm. Campbell. He, at the University of South Florida, he Mm -hmm. has a 
a facility that actually studies physique athletes because there's a lot of data on oh, weight so cool. loss and obesity. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's a lot of data wow. on weight loss and obesity, but to understand weight loss and how food and just the process of, well, just bodybuilding and being fit and in shape, how does that change the data? It's mm-hmm. extremely interesting, but he's, he's not an IFBB pro. But right. he's a PhD. And that's the thing, right? like how much more educated and intelligent in it can you be, right? right. And Absolutely. I think people need to look at that and not hang so much on the title as far as if you're looking for information and guidance and things like that. You know, it, somebody it, who's it well-rounded. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And that goes for posing people. Oh, that is the biggest yes. pet peeve of mine. Somebody can hit a pose or even as a natural at posing. I'm not impressed with the people who are coaches and they post these like posing pictures of athletes who are just probably were dancers or they're just natural at this. And all of a sudden it's like, this was my star student who got a pro card. It's like, how about the people that walk like a Clydesdale or clock, you know, <laughs> yes. around, do you know what I mean? Like, can you can take that person. Yeah. Like- oh my God. Where is space? <laughs> am I even in space? Where am I? Oh boy. Those are, those are always an interesting transformation for me, but I love yes. those because I believe everybody deserves a chance to become amazing and anybody can with, with yes. the right strategy. So having said that, you know, there's, there is a difference and there's no standard in posing. And that's a big thing right now. You see so many of these posing tutorials, which leads me into the next discussion about standards of what mm-hmm. the expectations are in the NPC and the IFBB. How much weight does your individual posing routine actually have in your scoring? And is there a look, I'll get to this one. I, I got to put, I got to put the fingers <laughs> out here. Is there an actual look that like the looky-loo over the shoulder or this particular walk or just a way that you're moving in and out of the poses? Is there an expectation that you guys have for the athletes or is there not? And I'm going to, I'm going to hear what you have to say first, and I'm going to share the information that I'm getting from the people because I teach hundreds of athletes a year in my classes. So I Mm -hmm. get people from all levels and the perception is very interesting. So I want to hear and have the audience here from Becky Claussen. Sure. <laughs> on this subject. It was a pro. It was a pro, like a multi-pro. She's a Olympia judge, head judge. You are okay. Hear it from Becky first. If you don't want to hear it from me, hear it from Becky. Go ahead. Yes. <laughs> I would say the main thing about posing, and this is something you touched on before, is confidence. And I think that's the big benefit of having a posing coach, right? Is to kind of work you through your poses, put you in poses that show your best physique, but also make you confident up there. You know, we're judges, we're human, and that it factor has an impact on us. And from the minute you step on stage, you don't even have to do a ton of poses, which actually I don't recommend. Less is more. Um, But if you walk out there confidently holding your head high, you know, your posture is upright, you're presenting yourself gracefully and fluidly, that's hard to look away from. That, That, I would say, catches our attention more than anything. And that's really the point is to make us look at you and all of it comes into play, whether it's your, you know, your hair, your suit, your makeup, your tan, your posing, you want to look as pulled together as possible. So we say that girl has the entire package. Like I want to see more of that. So it does matter for sure. And for the scoring itself. So there is, let's talk about how you actually, and is it the same for the NPC, which is the amateur division? Is the scoring and how you score the same as how it works on a a pro level stage? Yes. And I'm very glad that you asked this because I get this question all the time. And 
it's not like a point system. It's not like you get like one to 10 points for your hair, one to 10 points for your conditioning. It's a ranking system. So for us, it's like, who is the closest to the standard out of everyone on stage? And that person gets first place. And then who is the second closest, second place and on down. So we're looking at everything in its totality. So we're looking at your shape, your muscularity, your conditioning, but then also your presentation comes into it and say two people are close, like they're first and second, and we have to decide who is which. Sometimes that's where posing comes into it because it's not the physique you possess, it's the one you present. You know, what do you show to us in the comparisons? And that can tip the scale. Um, I will say if you come on stage with no tan, an unflattering suit, you know, your hair's a mess, like you do all the little things wrong, you would have to have a tremendous physique, like a physique that is undeniable to beat someone who has a decent physique, but probably has everything pulled together. It just, it looks so much better and so much different on stage. It, It just matters that much. And it can be the decision between first and second. So that's how we score. So we score one through 16. Um, after 16, we stop scoring. Um, we'll have anywhere from five to seven judges, usually on a panel. Um, we drop the high and the low. So if somebody decides, you know, the entire panel thinks this person's in fourth, but someone likes them for first, that would get dropped. And likewise, if we all think they're first and someone thinks they're fourth, that would get dropped. Um, and then everything gets added and then the placings go accordingly. So it is really um, a group consensus. It's not just one person's decision. It's the entire panel. And we'll have discussions about it, you know, which I think is important because I always ask my fellow judges, what is your opinion? Where do you have this person? Because maybe they've seen something I missed. Maybe I was writing something down and I missed, oh, well, when she turns, this looks a little funny or this is a little imbalanced or something like that. So we all do talk and say, this is what I like about this athlete. This is what I like about this athlete. And then we score our individual sheets. When do you have these discussions? Is this during the judging component? Like when the uh, um, athletes are up on stage and they're up there, you're actually talking amongst each other. Mm -hmm. How do you talk to a person all the way on the end? Is it like a text or something? (laughs) If only like, usually they're close enough that it's true. The people next to me, I talk to the most. Um, but we'll ask for their feedback and especially like on call outs. That's one thing that I want athletes to know is that all the judges submit their top fives for call outs. So we take everybody into consideration. And like you're saying, like, I can't holler down to the end of the table. Um, but they'll, you know, pass lips down as to who they want to see. And sometimes they'll just turn to them and say, Hey, do you want anyone moved? Is there any, you want to see anyone or anything like that? And that's easy enough to do. And that way they have their input as well. So when the athletes first come out on stage, it's the same process for both the amateurs and the pros, right? Typically. um, Does it matter what the show is? They come out by themselves first. Everybody has a moment to come out. Even if you're amateur, it's like 10 seconds. Get get out of there. (laughs) It's quick, right? (laughs) You have a couple seconds for the judges to see you and then get in line, right? Yes, I will. And then there's, yeah, how does all that work? I will say it depends on the size of the class or the size of the show. So if we have a really big class, like say there's 20 athletes in a class, I will ask them to come out first in groups and we'll just do comparisons. Like bikini, I would just turn them front and back. And for me, that's just an opportunity for me to see the depth of the class. 
Um, so we can see like, oh, wow, this is a really competitive class. You know, like everyone looks really good. We've got to be, you know, keep that in mind when taking a look at them individually. Um, so we'll do that on the bigger classes. Otherwise, like smaller classes, they just come out and do their individuals first. Um, in the bigger classes after the comparisons, they'll do their individual posing routines. And that's where we actually slot them into their callouts. Um, because we've seen the quality of the class. Um, we're deciding, you know, who looks good in comparison to everybody else that's up there. So both matter equally. I know that, you know, some people will say, oh, the posing doesn't matter at all. It, it definitely matters to me. I take a look at every individual routine because there's sometimes where you might miss someone. Like that's my biggest fear is to miss someone. Mm. So I look at every person that comes out and watch them individually. I write notes for feedback at that time too. And that way I ensure that I have everyone slotted where I feel they belong and I've given them the attention and, and fully, you know, assess their physique. So nothing is missed. No one is missed. So I think it's important to note just how the judging is done is, is different in the IFBB and the NPC from other organizations where the individual routine really happens later. You, a lot of times it's not even scored. It doesn't even factor into scoring at all. So basically mm -hmm. they come out and they, they do the spin around depending on what division it is and what federation. It'll be either be four poses or two. And that's mm -hmm. kind of where it, all the scoring happens. The judges don't talk amongst each other. Ranking system depends on the organization. I judge for about four of them. So it does depend on mm -hmm. the organization, whether it's just a one slaughter or if it's multi-columns. So it, what makes NPC and IFBB different is that you stop at 16. You mm -hmm. also, it depends on the size of the show. You basically either will bring them out individually to get a good look and then do the group comparisons. Or if it's enormous, like the Olympia, for example, you bring them out yes. in groups to get an idea of how everybody, total picture, every, the judges each write down their favorites, so the five that they want to see in first callouts. And mm -hmm. that's kind of how the journey starts. So at what point do you do the judges know they're done? Does it, does it like everybody say we're good? And Yeah, so for me as a head judge, I make sure that um, – Every, everyone's where we think they should be or everyone's been compared. Because um, one thing I will say too, I know everyone always says, I want the center spot because they think that's first place. That's a big thing in the NPC and the IFPB. And for mm -hmm. us as judges, at least, you know, from my experience, my job is not to place you in the center and say you're first, it's to compare you with like physique so we can make a decision. So it could be these two people over here I need to compare because they're really close. They could be second and third. And so if that's where, you know, the toss up is, I'll ask the judges, you know, are you good with this? You've seen everything you need to see and make sure they're, they've got their scores written down and then we'll dismiss. And then later on, the individual routines, those are after all the scores, like they happen again, right? In the um, local shows, do they just happen the when, when they first... Yeah. Well, we do our scores. Um, it would be, say, they come out in a big group. They do their comparisons front to back. They come out individually. Then we do the call out, and that's when we score. And, and that's, that's pre-judging for us. Yeah. And then, and then and if it was a small show, it would be one at a time. Then the group comparison, have a nice day. But what about, like, this later part of the show? The, after the oh, scoring? the finals. Yeah. Yeah, so finals. We have finals where everyone is awarded. And um, if you're, you've done your presentation in the morning, typically, if you're men's physique, uh, bikini, wellness, figure, yeah, you've done, those are the ones that typically do their posing, their presentation in the morning. 
Um, the evening show, that's where bodybuilding, classic, um, women's bodybuilding and women's physique do their routine. And, you know, that's the routine isn't necessarily judged unless it's like the Olympia and it's open bodybuilding. You know, we, we do judge that. Um, but we take a look at the athletes in finals as well to do confirmation of scoring, which is something that I think is really important for athletes to hear. Um, it's kind of crazy. The questions that I get, even from pro athletes, like, am I judged in finals? And it's like, yes, like we may not, you know, rearrange all the scoring, but we take a look at everyone, especially, you know, the ones that are winning, you know, placings and awards and money. Like they have to look the part at finals. If somebody goes and like pigs out and comes back with like a distended belly, it's happened, you know, and they just think that they're home free. And if we see that and someone else, you know, is better, we will change the scoring. So finals absolutely does matter. Yeah. And what about on the local, small, amateur, regional stage? Does the scoring change later on at all? I would say we still take a look. I mean, I can say, yeah, I can say that just like I get the sheets and I just make sure, you know, everything looks right as far as, you know, what the scoring was, it's consistent and stuff. But if someone comes back, like I said, and just looks crazy, like something's happened and their physique is totally changed and it's enough for us, us to reevaluate, we'll do that. You know, we wow. care about the outcome being right. And part of that is your physique at finals, you know, just my advice to everyone is just hold it together. It's a few more hours. Don't do anything crazy. Um, stick to your plan. You'll be able to eat afterwards. That's the biggest mistake I see is like people eat too much and then their belly's distended or they totally fade. Like their conditioning, like say it's bodybuilding, you know, they spill over and all of a sudden they're super smooth and they just don't look the part anymore. If it's a big enough deal, we will definitely make the correction so that the right person wins. I think the biggest difference for the NPC and the FVB judging is the conversation that happens on the panel. Cause I don't see mm-hmm. that as often, um, maybe in the WBFF, which I've judged for them too, that the mm-hmm. conversation that happens on the panel is something that um, makes it unique. And people didn't like that. They were like, oh, well, there, there's, it's rigged because now they're yes. talking and now the, now the opinion has been altered. But I have to ask, in order for you to be key on, become an NPC and IFBB judge, what is the journey to learning? What are the standards? Like, are there tests? Are there, yes. is there any schooling that the NPC has where you have to follow a certain pattern or process meaning and then take exams to actually become a judge? Is, or is it like, hey, you're a competitor <laughs> in this organization. Come on and come sit yeah, on the panel and give me your opinion, which <laughs> yeah. happens. So, yes. I've seen, seen a lot. Yes. And, <laughs> so and tell me. I've seen a lot over time too. So I'm glad <laughs> like they've standardized it significantly. And we actually have um, a scoring system that's all automated and everything that does the math for us. But it also takes test judge scores and processes them. So you can test judge a show and they take those scores and compare them with the actual results. And then you have to be within a certain percentage to qualify, I guess, as a judge, but you have to do that a couple of times on the local level. And other than just the scoring, we also say um, before the first call out is called, you have to hand in your top five. So we're also saying like, can you score within call outs, but also can you pick out the top five or something, you know, relatively close, like four of the top five from a group just standing on stage. 
So I think those are really good metrics to say that someone has an eye and they're able to do it. Um, that allows well, you to teach judge. them the eye. What teaches them the eye? Just experience in the sport? Like, or yeah. is it, do they have an actual, no. Okay. So it is experience it's, in the sport. It's pretty much experience in the sport. And then most people that I know that are successful judges ask a lot of questions and ask like, well, what do you think about this? Or how do you look at this? And so there's a lot of knowledge transfer from more experienced judges to the ones that want to learn. Um, that's certainly how I learned. And, um, Sometimes like the more experienced judges will put newer judges like next to me or someone else who's done it for a while so that they can ask questions. And then throughout the experience, you know, they can ask something if they just don't understand or don't know. And that sort of brings their, their knowledge level up. Um, they also have to pass a national test too. So just because you can judge on the local level doesn't mean that you can judge a national show. Again, you have to test judge at a national show, which it's a lot more competitive, a lot bigger. Um, mm -hmm. It's definitely more difficult to judge on that level. So you have to pass that test as well to be able to judge on the national level. So there are requirements in place, which I think is good. Make sure that people do have the right eye and that they can judge in that environment too. You know, it's a fast paced environment. So you've got to be able to make decisions quickly and be decisive and sure in yourself and um, where you would place someone that that's another characteristic we want. So it's really like people like you and Sandy, you know, and all the other veterans, Gary and all the, the, the real veterans that really keep the standard of the scoring, what it is and what the organization wants. And it's less about um, there being a specific test or exam that you have to take to be able to learn how to judge, there is experience. You have to be in the sport to kind of understand what you're even looking for. Mm -hmm. And then to go from there, people like you really keep the standard. So it, and I think the sharing of information is important versus somebody who's brand new, test judging, doesn't really know why, why mm -hmm. the people scored the way they did. It's just yes. their opinion. How do you learn? Yes. And it is. It's just an experience thing. And thankfully, a lot of this is top-down information. Like I myself learn so much from judging with Tyler. And I really value the times I see him throughout the year because we will have discussions like, you know, wellness, we have to, you know, make sure we're looking for this or like the changes that are coming for men's physique and really our emphasis on balance and not too big of arms or shoulders. Like that's been communicated to us, you know, verbally. And then as we judge together, it's like, yeah, this is what we want. This is too much. So it's even a knowledge transfer to me that I share with others. And I think that's kind of how you have to do it other than just knowing the guidelines because it is subjective, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you have to know what to do in this situation where you might have athletes on stage that no one looks the part, you know, then what do you favor? What do you value? And it's just sharing your knowledge and experience. And, and the ones who get it, I would always say you either get it or you don't. And the ones that get it come along in time. Yeah. And I think the top down is important, but at the end of the day, you did say it in the beginning of, of our chat that you have to judge what's up there. So yes, if, if everybody has ginormous shoulders, yes. What are you going to, what are you going to do? Someone's got to win. Yes. Right. So now they're trying to put things like weight caps into mm -hmm. place to try to try to tone things down a little bit to adhere to the yeah. standards. So that's another thing that helps, I think too. You know, For sure. To, then it makes for it new not judges so much to come in. Us. Yeah. Then it's yeah. not so much on the judge to say you're too big. Like we can say, oh, you're over the weight. So you're definitely too big. 
for this category. Yeah. So it'll and be even helpful. like this, this do, are there um, standards about uh, like coaches that you have to use? This is there's so much nonsense out there. So let's just clarify. I know. I'm so glad coaches <laughs> specific hair that you have to wear, or people you have to use for the makeup, people you have to use for the suit, tanning companies. And does it change? Okay, here's the extra part. Does it change when you go from amateur to pro? No, absolutely not. I can say I have no idea for the most part who anyone trains or coaches. And even if I do, it doesn't factor into my decision because I am obligated to make a fair choice. And here's the thing is like, you know, my who wins shows they see that Tyler sees that like, if I make a random choice, like out of favoritism, I'll be questioned about that. Like, why did this person win? Like it, it's not like I just operate in a bubble and I can do whatever I want. I'm beholden to the standards as well. So a, I would never do that. B I would never, you know, tank my career as a judge just for one person, you know? And that's the thing, like you were saying about politics, like people think there's all these politics we don't know who is aligned with who, who works with what supplement company, who is working with what coach, nor would anyone really jeopardize their situation for something like that. For what? To give someone a placing like that? It just doesn't happen. Nor do we really have time to consider those things at the table. Um, so coaching, nope, doesn't matter who you work with. Half the time, I'll think someone is with a team and I'll like give feedback and they're like, that's not my athlete. I'm like, oh. <laughs> Okay. Like, I have no idea. Um, and as far as like for hair, yeah. Standards for hair, standards for suit, hair must be dark. Oh gosh. (laughs) I was just going to say that that was the big thing when I competed in bikini. So being a blonde, I was like, I'm not changing my hair for the stage. Like I compete a couple times a year. I'm not going to do this to my hair and then have to live with it the rest of the year. That was a big thing. Your hair has to be black and straight. Like that's the only thing that wins. And it is so not the case. It's Becky, you see people saying that. Oh yeah. I, I'm not oh surprised. My God. I hear it myself. All, all, all <laughs> these gurus with a Z out there. Yeah. Can't. Yeah. It's just, it's ridiculous. And girls will ask us that like, well, what do you think about my hair? Should I wear it straight or curly? And my thing is always like, it, how do you feel most confident? Like, what do you like the best? And you know, there are some things that you can do with your hair. Like if you're too muscular on top, some girls will put their hair in front. So longer hair extensions might work. You know, there are things like that to consider, but that's so rarely the case. And we like hot pink hair. I think if it looks healthy, it's fine. I think that's the big kicker there because I've had people say that to me as well, but we've had people turn pro or do well in shows with different colored hair, blue hair, whatever it is. I think the idea is for it to look healthy, which that kind of goes with the criteria, right? Like you're supposed to present a healthy feminine appearance and, you know, let's be honest, just healthy looking hair, smooth styled hair is part of that. That is what subconsciously conveys like a healthy put together appearance. So if you look, you know, well-groomed and pulled together, then, you know, whatever your look is that you prefer, I say go for it. I think if you try See, that to you say that, be- that too much, then confidence yeah. wanes. And you can tell someone who's uncomfortable on stage. You know, I'm sure you deal with it with your posing clients. Oh, yeah. like, and you can kind of nitpick to figure out what is this that you don't like that we've got to fix here. 
You know what the biggest fix that I'm finding is that people think that they're supposed to look a certain way. Mm-hmm. And that the NPC, and, they, and I was talking about it earlier, they want a certain thing. They want you to look a certain way. They want you to walk a certain way. They want you to transition a certain way, move a certain way. And I'll give you a quick story. So I had a student, so I have a student in my class, and she's getting ready for a show. Amazing, amazing performer. Just from all the work that we do in the class, she has built an incredible uniqueness to her that is uniquely her. One day she posts this video because she says, here is my NPC routine. It was like nothing like her. I swear to God, it was nothing like her. I didn't even recognize her. I says, We're, what makes you think it's an NPC routine? Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's what NPC, this is how they look. I'm like, well, that's because you saw a tutorial. Do you want to pose like a posing tutorial or you want to be you on stage? And I right. think that's important to, to make that distinction is that yes. you know, it's easy if you think about what we're doing on stage, how many of us have ever really, like, if you're in your 50s and you're getting on stage for the first time in your underwear? Yeah. I mean, when was the last time you were ever on stage to be willingly judged in front of a panel, by the way, an audience spectating, you in your right. underwear with this, right? This means a lot to you guys. It means a lot. You want to look great. But the truth is, you've probably never performed for, I don't know, 40 years, if you ever did it all, ever mm-hmm. in front of an audience. Like, you are, in essence, performing. So I get that people want to have something to look off of that they can follow as a crutch because you want them to feel confident. The more prepared you are, the more confident you're going to be. But then I like to take it a step further and be like, well, who are you? What does that look like for you? And I think what you're saying, Becky, with the hair, the suit, the color of the hair, all this stuff is be you and be uniquely you. What does that look like for you is not going to be for me. You got blonde hair and you got two pro cards. Yes. Didn't matter. Mm -hmm. And it didn't matter. You hit the nail on the head. It is so, it is next level to be yourself on stage. I think that just jumps out at us. You know, it's true. There are some poses that are pretty safe and standard like to do for bikini. And like you said, if someone's never gotten on stage, those are pretty good to start with. Like that's a pretty solid base. But if you can get someone to be themselves on stage and put their own personality into it, you know, some younger girls are a little bit more cutesy. You know, some girls, like, you see someone like India Paulino, she's very sleek and sexy on mm-hmm. stage. Like, that's who they are, and that's who their stage persona is. And I love that it's unique. That's what makes them stand out and makes us look at them. And so that is the next level, I think, to posing, where you can really get them to embrace it and put something of themselves into it. Well, you heard it from Becky herself, be yourself, be unique. Becky, what is the most difficult division to judge across all the men and women? And what's the least difficult? Which which one's the easiest? I got it in the bag. I'm comparative to all the others. Mm -hmm. And what's the most difficult? Um, I would say I, I think bikini is relatively easy for me just because I judge it quite often. Um, I get super nervous at the Olympia, though, where there's like all these athletes that are, they're so close. And it is like splitting hairs, just deciding, you know, amongst those girls. They're all such great examples. Um, So that's where it gets a little dicey. Um, I would say like open bodybuilding, but I think I only, just because I psych myself up for it, like it's so visible. There's big prize money. You know, there's not as many shows. Them going to the Olympia is such a huge deal. Bodybuilding itself is probably the easiest to judge because there's no suit hair, makeup, like none of that matters. It's muscularity, conditioning, proportions. It's 
probably the more cut and dried one, but that's the one that like, yeah, it's such a big deal and so visible that I think that's the one I get like the most amped up for. So it's self-induced pressure. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. But you know what you're talking about at the end of the day, you know yes. what you're talking about. Who's your favorite competitor of all time physique? I should say not competitor, but who's your favorite physique, male or female? Do you have one? Um, I definitely do. So male is Dexter Jackson. He's just the blade. Phenomenal. I mean, Dexter he, the blade. Yes. Yes. And <laughs> I saw him compete back in 2004 and just his conditioning. He was always on point. So balanced. And he proved that you didn't have to be freaky, you know, to win a show. I mean, he won so many shows and his longevity, like, I think he did 80 some pro shows. He had 29 wins. And I think he was never out of the top 10. And for all but five of them, he was never out of the top five. Like, that's incredible to me, like his longevity and just the way he built his physique. He used to be a Bantamweight. So he was oh, teeny really? tiny. Yeah. Oh my God. So talk about wow. someone like building their way up and growing wow. into the sport. Yeah. So I, I'm someone that's a, you know, I really like the aesthetic and shape of a nice balanced physique. And I, I think, yeah, he's probably, he's definitely one of the best to ever do it. Dexter, the blade Jackson. That's a good pick. Yes. Yeah. I like that one. How about well, you? what do you think? Who's my fave of all time? Yeah. Man, it's hard, right? Best of all, it is. If I think back to, hmm, I hate, I have to say, I know I'm going to, it's going to sound really cliche, but I really loved Ronnie Coleman. Yes. I know. I, I, I it's very cliche. He's, he's awesome though. He was so, he was big when I started competing and I was such a fan. I bought all the magazines with him in it and yeah, he's awesome. But it was his personality too. He was just everything. Yep. Like, and he's so humble. Like he has every reason yes. to like, to be, you know, touting his, his accolades, but he doesn't, he's just like, this is me. And he's still at it. Even in, even yeah. after all the back issues that he's had, he's still at it. He's so to me, I just think from, um, just the flow standpoint, the physique standpoint and the personality standpoint, that one really jumps out at me. Yeah. yeah that's a great choice. Do you think that they're going to be adding any, any, or is there any talk of additional divisions to add any more variety to the IFBB or NPC? Or are we I pretty much heard. there? Um, I haven't heard anything. Um, I would always be interested if maybe there was a men's, you know, another men's division. I don't know if that's even possible because we have so many women, women's divisions, but I'm not sure. Um, not that I've heard. I think right now we're interested in maintaining the ones we have and making sure, especially with the newer ones we've introduced, like wellness, that we're, um, making sure the criteria is firm and that the athletes exemplify that the athletes at the top of the sport. So and I think we'll probably do that for a little while. So going forward, no real talks of anything new, just refinement. What about you? Do you have any, any goals in where are you looking to take this? So you've judged in like a maniac all over the world. <laughs> yes. Yes. Traveling like crazy. Meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile she has a, another job that she's working. What are your plans? Yes. What are your goals? Um, I think I just want to continue to get better at what I do. Um, that's very important for me. I, I think you never stop learning. Um, and I feel like I have good knowledge, but there is always something else to learn. And I just want to continue to get better at not only judging, but putting, helping to facilitate good productions. Like we were talking, the head judge has a lot to do with that. 
So I want to make sure I keep learning how to facilitate those things. Um, I always, of course, have a bucket list of shows I want to judge. You know, I want to go really? to Dubai like someday. So like, I'm like, oh, I hope I get that judge some or that show someday. Um, being able to travel has been a huge blessing. And I've really enjoyed that. And I hope to continue doing that. Um, not only because I get to see these places that really without this opportunity, I don't think I'd ever travel to in a million years. I just wouldn't have the ability to. And also to meet the athletes there. It's really touching to see the passion of these athletes who um, maybe even haven't had as much opportunity in the past. Like with the expansion of the NPC worldwide, they have more shows and more opportunity to compete. And I think they're really grateful for that. And there's something really inspiring and refreshing about seeing those athletes that are just so happy to get on stage. So just more of that, that. Know, as much as I can do. Yeah. I love that. Do you have anything to plug? Any shows no. that you want to make sure people attend? I mean, the Ben Leader, I will say that I'm head judging that. that one. Oh, so, good. Um, yeah. So I'll that's be great. there and I would love and that's to. coming up pretty soon. It is. It's um, two weeks after the Olympia. So I'll be there. And I'm excited for that because actually some of the international athletes are coming to that, which I'm super oh, that's excited fantastic. for. They're actually flying in for that. So I'll be there if anyone, you know, if this this is out by that time, if anyone wants to say hi or chat, um, I'll be there. But other than that, like, I just judge. Like, I don't coach. I don't promote anything, which so I kind of like. Like, this is just mm. my hobby and my love and my passion. and. You know, I'm not motivated by anything other than just the joy of doing it and wanting to do a good job. So my only plug is for, you know, people like you who continue to get information out there and encourage athletes. Like, I love the fact that you dabble in all different, you know, federations. And so you can help an athlete find their best fit and, you know, put them in a place where they'll succeed and have a good um, experience and, you know, you have so many opportunities that you can introduce athletes to. So I really love that. Thank you for doing that. Absolutely. And thank you for being with me today. I think the athletes, you know, no matter where their journey is, there's something for them. I think it's great to kind of give them a soup to nuts summary of what the NPC and the IFBB is all about. I think there's a lot of confusion. So I like to bring people on that are actual fact deliverers, <laughs> the people that are yes. going to tell it how it is. And you're so, <laughs> and you're so unbiased. And I do love after the Olympia, you give some really great recaps. So on Instagram, yes. Becky, what is your handle on Instagram? Because you should tech, you should totally go follow Becky and find her and follow Cause even after the show, you give like a real good summary of the champion and how they adhered to the criteria. Yes. And you, and I think that's important because a lot of people yes. get very upset by their favorite didn't win. So you really mm -hmm. kind of explain what made that person be the standout on that. Yes. So Becky, what is your handle on Instagram? Cause that's where you are it a is. lot, right? Yep. Yep. It's fit pro Becky. There you go. Fit Pro yeah. B E C K Y. And if you are looking to do an NPC and IFBB show, I do have a virtual posing clinic coming up October 28th, earn to post.com slash NPC or just learn to post.com. I do do them monthly. So no matter where you are in the world or where you are in the country, come learn how to pose. That's my jam. You will learn every single men and women division down to the micro details. So definitely come check that out as well. Becky, I can't thank you enough for joining me today. Do you have anything thank else you, you want to add before me. we sign off? No, just, just a huge thank you. I hope that people get some information from this and I hope that they're inspired to get on stage. You know, I think there's a place for everyone in, in bodybuilding and I hope that people find that. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Becky. Thank you for joining me. 
signing off today. Take care, everybody. See you next week. Ever wonder if you are posing correctly for your division? Learn to Pose is dedicated to taking out the guesswork on how to pose for all categories in bodybuilding. Learn five ways you can improve your posing skills in five minutes guaranteed at www.learntopose.com. There are free posing tutorials available for the bikini, figure, and men's physique categories and more on the way for other divisions in bodybuilding. It's free, so go access your free posing tutorial for bikini, figure, or men's physique at learntopose.com. Michelle's a longtime pro competitor and judge across many federations, and she's helped me with my posing so much, building confidence on stage, and I got so many great comments and feedback from the judges after I started working with Michelle. There's no one better, and there's no one that's going to help you get your posing uh, in a better place than Michelle will. Hi, my name is Dawn Graves, and I've been a bikini competitor for um, coming up on 13 years. I started working with Michelle on the recommendation of my friend Suzanne because uh, I saw how quickly she was able to transform Suzanne's posing and I really um, need to up my posing game and as always I'm looking to get my pro card even though I'm in my 50s and Michelle never makes me feel embarrassed or uncomfortable and I keep coming back and I love working with her.